You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Hello, 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 everyone. We want to thank you that you are joining us on today. We are excited that you are spending time with us today. I know there's a lot of things that you could be doing. You could be spending time with family, working on projects, plenty of things. But we are grateful that you decided to spend time with us today because one thing we can be assured is that your time spent with us today will be well worth it. You know, it's estimated that nearly 500,000 new cases of Alzheimer's disease will be diagnosed this year in the United States. That's like every 67 seconds in America. And every three seconds, someone in the world develops dis- dis- dementia. Well, my guest today has been called to make a big impact on the world. Her knowledge and her expertise has the power to change lives. Her passion and service to others in the area of Alzheimer's and dementia is noted in her books, and she has designed programs and materials to help ensure that caregivers and persons living with Alzheimer's and related dementias are well cared for and supported. Dr. Lori James has become a sought out voice in the advocacy for rights of persons with disabilities, both physical and hidden. She's the founder of Focus on Education Incorporated, which provides individualized consultation and advocacy services, workshop development and facilitations, support coaching and publishing. Please welcome Dr. Lori James to the show. Welcome, Dr. James. Good afternoon. How are you? Excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm. There's so much that we have to get into on today, um, but I want to start with the backstory about your experience with your dad's health. I'm sure. My father was my best friend, and daddy was just an, an, a wonderful man. He had several health issues that we thought were going to be the, I guess, the ones that were going to, to end his life. Daddy had prostate cancer, stomach cancer, and he also had lung cancer. Oh, my goodness. And he recovered from each of those. And a, a couple of years after he recovered from, from lung cancer, I began to notice that daddy had a bit of a, a forgetfulness problem. Well, daddy was about 83, 84 at the time. And so I thought maybe it's just, you know, he's just getting older. Mm. And however, his reasoning skills begin to wane and things that he knew, for example, he was a computer whiz. Not only did he forget how to log in and those types of things, but he actually forgot that he was a computer whiz. Oh my. So that's when I began to to think, okay, maybe this is dementia. And Mm. it was not diagnosed originally. 
as unfortunately it happens in, in the black and brown communities, oftentimes, even in my father's case, when you say to the doctor, I believe this is dementia, possibly Alzheimer's disease, yes. and still don't want to diagnose. Mm. And it took daddy's doctor, whom he had been seeing for over 20 years, it took him two years to give him the diagnosis. Wow. Wow. You know, that's interesting. We're talking about James M. Dixon, um, who I know that you have a foundation that you have established in his in his honor. Um, tell us a little bit about the foundation and, you know, who it serves and what you're doing with the foundation. Absolutely. The foundation, yes, was named is named after my father. Daddy ended his journey with Alzheimer's disease in 2018. Mm. And after my father's death, of course, I was sad. He was my best friend. Mm -hmm. And he, but I was also angry. When daddy was going through his journey with Alzheimer's disease, there came a point when my stepmother needed to put him in an assisted living facility. Okay. And we chose the facility that supposedly was the best facility in Sun City, Florida, which is where they lived. Okay. And initially, everything was wonderful. I would go and visit once or twice a month and spend time with daddy. But after a while, we noticed, or I noticed that some things were not happening the way they had previously. For example, there was an a nurse who was there from 7 a.m. to 7, 8 p.m. in the evening. Mm. And she was no longer there. Wow. The food that they provided was mostly processed and high carbs, which my father never ate. Daddy rarely ate sweets until he went to assisted living. And he went from actually a size medium to a size large in the span of six months. Wow. So that kind of gives you an idea of the types of food they were feeding him. Mm. And so I began to question what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so not only was I paying an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of money for his care, they mm. asked because daddy became immobile. They asked if I would bring on a private nurse to be with daddy from seven to seven. Okay. And I agreed. Mm. And that had that lasted for about three weeks. And they told my stepmother that it was overkill. Well, the reason it became overkill is because then she began to make to question what was going on. Mm. And so the day after the nurse did not come, daddy ended up in the hospital as well as in hospice on the same day. Oh, my goodness. That's just Something's going on in these facilities. It's it's um, this is a common type of story that happens across America and I know around the world. Situations like this where you're doing the best you can, given the best care that you can give as far as you know, coming to see the person, and sometimes even bringing uh, people will bring you know certain food that they like or something of their loved one. But when they leave and they're away from them, the care is not up to par, and the ball seems to drop. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, I have a cousin who whose mom passed from Alzheimer's last year and actually her father, his services today, he passed from Alzheimer's and they had a schedule and they were she had someone with him with with his with both of them from the mm-hmm. time they woke up to the time they went to bed. OK, so someone was scheduled to be there, unlike with my father, since he was in Florida and I was here. Oh, okay. he didn't get that type of care because there's no family in Florida. OK, I see. And, and the unfortunate part was when daddy passed, I found out that he had frontal brain damage. What? How and did that happen? To this day, I don't know. And the way that the law is written or unwritten, they don't have to tell me. Mm. And they haven't told me. So hence... That's my anger part. Okay. okay. And initially anger with myself. Could I have done more to 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 get him at home? Mm-hmm. Could I have done more to get them to Atlanta? Oh, okay. Should I have just gone to Florida and stayed? What could I have done differently? Mm. Then I became angry because I didn't know what happened. Mm. Wow. Wow. You know, this is just like I said, this is something that happens so often. Um, you know, I had my father, he also had Alzheimer's. And so, um, you know, as we were talking before, just some of these things that happen and, and that go on, what are some of the hidden symptoms of Alzheimer's or dementia that, like you said, you started to notice some things, but maybe people are not realizing that these are some early signs of dementia. What are some of those things that maybe they could notice uh, in some of their loved ones? Well, of course, as we get older, we, we forget. Mm-hmm. We all forget something here and there, even mm-hmm. as, as before we start aging. If we have a lot of things going on, you know, we may go to the refrigerator and forget why we went to the refrigerator. Yes, yes. However, when it becomes something that's a pattern, something, for example, with daddy, daddy had a pattern when, for example, bills would come into the house. He had a specific tray that he placed them in. Okay. And when he paid them on a certain day, maybe the third or fourth of the month, he -hmm. had another tray where he transferred them. Okay. And after the transferring a few days later, he would then file them. I got a phone call from my mother saying the water is getting ready to be turned off. And I said, what? And because she didn't pay any of the bills, that was daddy's job. Yeah. And I said, why is the water getting ready to be turned off? And she said, because your father hasn't paid the bill. Mm. So I went to Florida, paid the bill. Mm -hmm. And I told daddy, I said, I'm going to start paying the bills. And he said, why? I said, because, well, see, this stack right here, it never made it to the paid stack. Did you forget to pay the bill? No, he said. Oh. But none of the bills had been paid. Hmm. And so that's kind of an obvious sign when it's not just, oh, he forgot that he forgot to do that. He forgot. But things that are rudimentary, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's something because people don't realize these small little symptoms and the person themselves are not realizing they're thinking, like you said, he thought he paid the bills. You know, it's like, why were you asking me that? You know what I'm saying? And that's important. That's important. Right, right. And then he also, daddy's reasoning skills. What I found out was daddy forgot how to write a check. 
And even though most of his banking was online, some things he would write a check for. And he was writing a check for the pool person. He for, he had forgotten how to sign his name. Mm, wow. He gave me the check and he said, baby, here, do this for me. Okay. Okay. And wow. so those were like the initial mm-hmm. symptoms. And then it just progressed from there. And every week, and this is when I tell people this, they're like, Laura, you're telling the story. And I'm like, no, mm. this is correct. Every week, because daddy would forget his passwords before he forgot that he knew how everything about the computer, he forget would forget his passwords so he couldn't do look at his bank account. Oh. So every week, like clockwork, daddy would take his laptop to the bank. And every week they would tell him, Mr. Dixon, we cannot utilize your laptop to log you in. Hmm. But every Friday, he would go back to the bank. And they understood that there was something going on. Mm. And because when I went to talk to them, they said, we, we understand. We understand. And of course, Sun City is a retirement retirement community. Okay. So daddy was not the only one mm-hmm. who was doing different kinds of things like that. Wow. Why is Alzheimer's increasing each year? Because it seems like it's not necessarily going away or getting better. It's just increasing. Why do you think that is? Well, there are a couple of reasons. And one of the reasons is sometimes I kind of wonder if if it's really increasing because, Mm -hmm. you know, when we were growing up, Big Mom and them would forget stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And we would say that they were just senile or having a spell or some yeah. of those are the words that I heard going on. <laughs> I had no clue what that meant. Yeah. And, yeah. It, but it was probably some form of dementia, if not Alzheimer's. Okay. But the other thing is we're, we're, we're living longer. Oh, okay. And okay. Alzheimer's, even though there's early onset, onset Alzheimer's that affects people under 65, Alzheimer's affects people 65 and older. And Mm -hmm. so the older you get, the more likely it is that you would develop some type of dementia. The other thing is our our eating habits. And the older we get, you know, we get a 10 10 pound gain here or 15 pounds. Yes, yes. And those are some of the precursors. Mm -hmm. When When we gain weight and become overweight, then we also have a chance of becoming diabetic, of developing high cholesterol or high blood pressure. Mm. All of those things can contribute to Alzheimer's disease. Wow. So it, it may not be as prevalent or as increasing as much. And the other part is we're diagnosing more and mm. we're diagnosing early, unfortunately, not early enough in the black and brown communities, but in the other communities, we're diagnosing earlier. Wow. You know, you, you mentioned the black and brown communities. What? Why are minorities, uh, for instance, more likely to suffer from um, these types of illnesses more so than the Caucasian community? For several reasons. Okay. The first reason, of course, as I mentioned, is diet. Okay. Okay. And because often, especially with our older population, they're used to eating certain things. Mm, That's true. You know, even though my my grandfather, who never had Alzheimer's, but granddaddy 
it was easy to change his diet because he would do anything grandmother asked him. <laughs> that's true. That's often true of, our, of that generation. That's true. I heard someone say that, well, they got they gave their car to, um, I think, to a relative. And they and someone said, I think it was a pastor said, well, why did you give your car? Because he said, mama told me to, which was his wife. Mama told me so, yes. so that's true. They often would do that. You're right. You're absolutely yes. right. Yeah. But most most it's difficult to change a person's diet the older they get, especially yeah. if they're cooking for themselves or if they have the ability to say, this is what I want for dinner. This is what I want to eat. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we do with the foundation is we host annual brain health and care symposiums and we talk about nutrition. We talk about being hydrated. One of the things that quickly goes away as we get older is we don't want to drink water anymore. Wow. Wow. Very true. A lot of young people don't want to drink water. True. True. As you get older, it's very important to hydrate the brain. Yes, yes. And of course, the body as well, because when you become dehydrated, as my father did often, that poses often. often. Wow. And I could I could tell over the phone if daddy was dehydrated because he he has one of the terms that we use is he becomes a little bit loopy. Mm. He talks about stuff that really don't make any sense. And this was before he moved through the stages of Alzheimer's. And he also becomes became weak. And 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 it was because he was dehydrated. And most of the time that he became dehydrated, that was a hospital visit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm, Wow. Wow. That's 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 really interesting. And, And it's something to think about because you. As you get older, they may take a sip of water or just a little bit of water. They're not taking the amount that an adult should take. And I know that hydration is very, very important. And even for the caregivers to understand that, because a lot of caregivers don't understand little simple things that they can do at these stages. And so, so, so why is there not more awareness for the caregivers that are dealing with people with dementia or any related illnesses? Because just giving more water, little things like that, that can be done to help uh, in these situations, they can do that. But it's not like there's a lot of awareness places where you can go get this information. That That's true. Most of, of course, we know that most of our caregivers, if they're a relative and, and providing at-home care, they're unpaid caregivers. Mm. And they're, they're overwor- overwhelmed and overworked. And right, often right. they are what we call the sandwich community because they're raising a child and they're taking care of a parent or a grandparent. Mm-hmm. Then we also have caregivers who are facility-based and they, even though they have to have a CNA license or better, they're not trained specifically on how to care for a person with Alzheimer's or related dementia. And there's something special about that caregiving pattern. And I mentioned earlier when daddy died, I was very, very angry. Yes, yes. Once I began to be more reflective in my anger, mm-hmm. I realized that part of the problem was that the, the CNAs who were caring for daddy, and he was not the only one in that 
everyone in his pod had Alzheimer's. So he wasn't the only one. And so what I realized was they were not trained Mm. to take care of someone with Alzheimer's disease, which is actually why I started the foundation. The foundation was originally started to provide support, training, and care for caregivers. Because I thought if they had, if they were able to care for themselves better Mm -hmm. and knew how to care for themselves better, they would be able to transfer that to the person they were caring for. And also we began to, prior to COVID, we had started going into facilities and working with caregivers in what I called, I coined the phrase intentional caregiving. Mm. And I tell people they're trained on how to utilitarian care for someone, but not how to be intentional Mm. in care. And for example, when when we do the the symposiums, I always bring someone out of the audience and I ask them if I can put lotion on their hands. Right, right, right. And they kind of think I'm crazy. (laughs) I prefer a heavy lip, uh, not lip balm, but I prefer a heavy balm. Or okay. a cream as opposed to a lotion in a pump. Okay. Because if it's a thin lotion, you can quickly put that on and it'll it'll dissolve into the skin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it's a balm, and I, I, I really like balms with few ingredients. So often it's a coconut balm. Okay. Coconut oil balm. It takes a minute to rub uh-huh. that into the skin. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, you are also providing care. And so the conversation is the way that I'm rubbing this into your skin, that's how I want you to take care of your loved one. Mm. Spend some time pampering them just like you would pamper yourself. Right, right. It's so important because when you when you you're saying that, you know, I think about my dad that was in the nursing home and obviously, you know, when they're getting showers and the people are caring for them and then when you come to visit them, you think, oh, you need some lotion. So you just put lotion on thinking that you're doing a service. But when you say the oil or a balm, that takes more time versus just sitting there and then watching them because that's like a quick thing, putting lotion on them or something. But if you have time to actually massage them, that is spending time, that is caring, that is actually stimulating more than just, okay, three minutes, you lotion, lotion their hands or lotion the feet or legs, and then you're done. But the balm does really make a difference. And just, you know, thinking back, if I had had that one little uh, nugget, <laughs> I mean, it could have been really a changer, even in my mind, you know, and, and the time that you're sitting there, you're not just sitting there, but you're being useful and you're communicating and you're, you're, you're providing so much because there's so much with the with the sense of touch, you know, to an uh, individual. And so uh, I love that to use, you know, more balms versus just, you know, lotion. You know, now, Dr. Lori, you mentioned costs and money. And I know that the cost of health care and long-term care for individuals, you know, living with Alzheimer's or, you know, dementia, they're really substantial. I mean, it, it gets up there. Uh, it's, I know it's one of the costiest conditions in society. I know it, co- it costs us a lot dealing with, with my dad in that situation, how difficult is it for maybe grant writers or proposal development to attain money in this area for their work? It's difficult. Okay. It's, it's, it's very difficult. And and it's interesting that you mentioned grant writers because I just, I just got another one yesterday. Mm. It's, It's difficult. And the, and 
Alzheimer's and the caregiver, let's just say Institute, is a $257 million um, bill every year. And so it it costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And to provide care for someone with Alzheimer's or related dementia. When daddy was was in the facility, he was there from October of 2017. And Mm -hmm. his journey ended in April of 2018. It cost me over $95,000. Wow. Just just for those few months. Mm. And to provide, having to provide additional care just to make sure that he was taken care of. Mm-hmm. And yeah. unfortunately, to find out that he wasn't. Wow. Wow. And that's the sad part of it, because uh, we've experienced something like that as well. It's just it's heartbreaking. How can family members who are not the main caregiver of the person maybe with the disability be more supportive? Because oftentimes if there's one person or if they, you know if that mom or dad or loved one is living with the person, they're providing 99 mostly percent of the care and maybe if they're if you have other siblings or something they're thinking well you know so-and-so is taking care of them and that's fine and dandy they're taking them to their doctor's appointments but they're kind of left out of the picture unless something is needed so to speak how can the other people in the family possibly step up to help that person that is the main caregiver because a lot of times the person is overworked and feeling all alone and thinking that everybody's living their life and they're living this burden uh, with their taking care of their loved one and things like that. And it's, it's often sad, but that responsibility is not as shared. So is there some things that people can do that are maybe in the same family that could be more supportive of that caregiving, um, you know, adult that's taking care of that person? Absolutely. And I, I hear this story all the time. Of pair of siblings living in another state, mm-hmm. and so there's one sibling in the state where the parent is or the grandparent is, and the other sibling doesn't want or doesn't understand that they need help. Right. And the first thing that I try to tell caregivers or or siblings is be observant. Right. Right. Go right. Visit and see. My my grandmother taught me how to care when she was providing care for my father, my grandfather. Okay. She okay. was a caregiver extraordinaire. And wow. I watched what she did mm-hmm. and how she supported my grandfather. Granddaddy didn't have Alzheimer's, but he had leukemia and prostate cancer. Okay. Okay. And so I watched how she cared for him. So the mm-hmm. first thing that I tell caregivers is to be observant. And mm-hmm. the other thing I tell people who are providing the care, who say they don't get any assistance, I ask them, have they asked? Wow. Mm. Which is why one of the I I am getting ready to launch a course for caregivers called the intentional caregiver, Mm -hmm. where we talk about how do you expand Mm -hmm. your circle Mm -hmm. so that you have time off so that you can go get your hair done or go buy something. Or if it's a gentleman, go get your car washed. Right. Spend some time with yourself. Let's Mm -hmm. expand that circle. And so certain things that we think should be second nature or you shouldn't have to tell someone to to do it or to think about Mm it. When you are so embedded in caregiving, Mm. that's the only thing you think about. And oftentimes it's to the detriment of the caregiver. Yes. Yes. You have to ask for help. 
the other other siblings, you need to understand and do your research on the disease, if it's mm. Alzheimer's or a related dementia, and just do some research. Mm. And as well, the foundation is here to provide information and assistance. And we're also getting ready to launch what I call the Caregivers Forum, where I show caregivers, these are some tools and tips that you can use and resources in your care, not just for your loved one, but for yourself. And mm. one of the things that I thought about, and, and I guess it's okay for me to, for me to use this. Definitely. <laughs> one of the things that I thought about, which is why I decided to launch the, the Caregivers Forum, is there certain things that happen with people who have Alzheimer's disease and you don't expect it. Wow. And it can sometimes throw you for a loop. Mm -hmm. And then there are other things that if you are the primary caregiver that you have to do. For example, I thought about what would I do if I had to bathe my father? Exactly, exactly. And yep. so I found a, 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 a brush that's actually a washcloth that mm. I'm going to show when we start the Caregivers Forum, mm. that it's soft. It's not that wiry kind of mesh thing. Okay. It's a soft cloth that you can use to wash, and it doesn't feel like you're doing it just because you have to. Oh, okay. It makes them feel more comfortable. And the person, if it's a female having to bathe the male, or if it's a male having to bathe the female, right. it makes them feel more comfortable doing it. And then in the long run, it helps ensure that the person they're bathing might be a little bit cleaner. Right. That's because it. They're not, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's important. I'll make that. Go ahead. Say that. No, I was just going to say it it, it. it kind of helps to the, the tools and things that we show are things to help also include the person journeying through Alzheimer's. It helps allow them to be more included in what's going on. And so there are ways to make the caregiver's life a little bit easier, but also to help the person feel like they're still part of the game. Right. And that's so important because that is such a, a, a point that you don't really think about um, when you're caring for someone. If it's, let's say, it's the, the, the daughter that has to care for the father or the son that has to care for the mother situations, that's a very important point to bring out. Uh, what you said, situations like that, because you have to be respectful. You want to make sure that their hygiene is where it should be, even if they have dentures or whatever you're doing, taking care of them. There's so many things that just makes your heart soften as you're realizing they can't do this for themselves and the condition that they would be in if these things aren't being taken care of. I know one lady that uh, was getting to that state and her, 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 they weren't, she had a regular teeth and she was in the nursing home, but she developed an abscess because she was pocketing her food into her mouth and things were happening, you know, with her dental care. And, and it was just like, she was not able to say what needed to be done. And um, they eventually realized that she had an abscess, you know, and, and that's a sad situation when you say they can't bathe themselves and the other person is saying, well, the brother should take care of the dad and the sister should take care of the mom. But that you don't always have that type of care if you're the only one within the state, as you said earlier. So the caregivers forum is it's needed like yesterday, like yesterday. Yes. And, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned the dental care and 
because that in 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 a facility or at home that's important and we the foundation part has partnered with two dental offices mm. to provide dental services for caregivers and for people living with alzheimers and that started because a friend of mine who is one of the dental partners we were having a conversation and she mentioned to me that one of her clients brought his mom in and he was a a football player Wow. Mom had Alzheimer's. Mm. He brought her into the dentist to get her teeth cleaned. Okay. She asked him, when was the last time you brushed her teeth? Wow. And his response was, mom brushes her own teeth. Well, she was doing like you just mentioned. She was pocketing food. Mm. And so the dentist had to clean out all of the food that had been in her mouth for who knows how long. Yeah. Yeah. In order to then try to provide some dental services for her. And then with caregivers, one of the last thing, you know, if your teeth don't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Other things that you have to do Mm -hmm. going to the dentist twice a year for that cleaning is not necessarily high on the priority list. Right. That's true. Very true. So we are also trying to provide the respite care for the person living with Alzheimer's so that the caregiver can go to the dentist without worrying about if there is someone who can care for their their loved one adequately so they can just go take care of some necessities. Wow. You know, it's it's really so much to this, you know, with people with dementia. And it's, it's like on the rise, like you said, more people are being diagnosed with it, especially within the brown and black communities. Um, you know, what are some of the steps that can be taken when our loved ones, they start to experience these, you know, related dementias, but they are not aware of the seriousness and where, you know, where they're, where they're at in their condition. Um, sometimes I think they become... Some of them can become aggressive. Um, I know, especially in nursing homes, I've seen that happen when my dad was in the nursing home and some of them were aggressive. What, I mean, what do you do? What do you say when they're in that condition and you're trying to do the best you can, but you're getting a fight uh, from them not wanting to take their medicine maybe or other types of care that you're trying to give them? Like we've talked about the dentistry and they maybe don't want to, to go or have something done or to be still while that's happening? You know, are there some things that that can be done in those instances or some advice that you can give the caregivers that are in that situation? I can give some advice, but I'm going to preface it with saying that every person is different. Okay. And one of the things that, that really made me believe that daddy had Alzheimer's disease is because I had never heard my father raise his voice. Oh, wow. And wow. he started becoming, and he was he was very mild mannered. Mm. Started raising his voice, although he never raised his voice at me. But mm. he became more frustrated. Mm. And Daddy was probably the most tolerant man in the world. Wow, of Job, and that started waning. So not only was he forgetting, and he was losing his ability to reason certain things. His personality started changing. And when his personality started changing, that was the clue for me that this is probably Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And so it goes back to, like I said, be observant of your parent or grandparent as they get older. Okay. And so you know how they were before. Mm -hmm. So you can see those changes. And Mm. 
The other thing is there are there are support groups, of course, because of COVID, the in-person support support groups have all but vanished. Yes, yes. There are support groups that are out there that will help you to get information, advice. One of the support groups that I led pre-COVID, we had people in the group who would provide information on caregiving, on if your if your family member was a vet, a vet, how can you get funds from the vet? What steps do you need to take? What about Medicaid and Medicare? Mm-hmm. And so the support groups are a big help, even okay. if there's no diagnosis yet. Daddy hadn't been diagnosed when I started the support group because the doctor refused to diagnose him. Wow. Wow. That's just mind boggling. Sometimes it's really mind boggling. You know, let's talk a little bit about your book, Inclusion, Inclusion, uh, Metamorphosis or Masquerade. Explain that title and, you know, why you decided to go with that title and what does that mean to you um, in the book that you lay it out? Actually, that was a book that I wrote about disabilities. Okay. I wrote that book uh, long before Daddy had a thought about having Alzheimer's. I've written a couple since then, but that book, and it it could be apropos if I just changed and tweaked a few things, but what I talked about in, in, in inclusion, metamorphosis or masquerade is the inclusion movement. Do you, is this for real or are you just giving lip service? Mm. And so for example, to relate it to Alzheimer's, if we look at people who, let's say, hold the purse strings. Okay. Are you really wanting to provide help or are you just giving me lip service? And to bring it, to bring that home, when daddy was a vet, but he also, we also decided to look at Medicaid to try to support his care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we applied for Medicaid in October of 2017. Okay. Every time daddy got worse, I called and said, where is he on the list? Because there was a list, believe it or not, with the the administration of of the funds. And they would tell me he's moving up the list. He's moving up the list. We're going to call you. We're going to call you. And one day, maybe around January of 2018, I called and I said, we're start. We're getting ready to look at long term care for daddy. Where mm-hmm. is he on the list? Yes. And she said, oh, well, if he needs long term care, we're going to move him right to the top of that list. And I said, let me ask you something. What do you all do? Wait until the person has died and then provide oh, the serve the, the funds and, and assistance people need. Wow. Well, two weeks after daddy died, I got a phone call from this person that I had been talking to since October. And she says, very excited. I've got great news for you. And I said, what is it? And I was getting ready to go to a luncheon. And I said, what is it? And she said, your father is now going to receive assistance. And I said, where are you going to send it? To heaven? Oh, my. Oh, my. And she said, I beg your pardon. I said, my father died two weeks ago. After I hung up the phone from her, I had mascara all over my face. I couldn't go anywhere. Dr. Lori, I can imagine that is horrific. That is horrific. 
a story like that. Oh my. And I imagine this happens over and over and over again. It does. And what I tell people who come to me and say, I think my mom had or my dad or someone has a has dementia or Alzheimer's, what do I do? And I lay it out for them. The first thing you need to do is get their finances in order. Get to know where the paperwork is. If you haven't talked, spoken with an elder care attorney, you need to make an appointment. You need to see what is available. Look into the Alzheimer's Association, the Alzheimer's Foundation, or one of the other network groups that are out there to find out what is available for you and for your loved one. And what often happens is, as the disease progresses, they come back to me with the same question. And I say, well, did you do A, B, and C? Mm. Well, no, we, we really didn't think it was time to do that. Wow. Well, yes, that was the time. Now you're chasing the eight ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and too, a little bit, but too late, you know, a little bit, but too late. It's just, oh, my goodness. And to think that this is everyday situations, people are in these situations every day. Um, there's so many advances we're making in technology and, and around the world, and especially in America, but yet things like this just kind of fall to the wayside, you know, time and time again. And uh, there's this is the reason why I'm so happy about the foundation that you have and the work that you're doing, because it's so important. You're literally saving lives. You know, you're giving hope to people and the caregivers are often forgotten about. I mean, it's, it's sad enough when we don't give the help in our society to the people that need it with dementia and related illnesses like that. But the caregivers are suffering in a certain way alongside of that loved one. Um, that they're caring for, and there's not a lot of support. And so that's the reason why um, the foundation, you know, the James N. Dixon Foundation is so important. And the foundation that you have uh, established uh, there is the work, you know, the work that you're doing is just monumental. And I know there's many days you want to stop and give up and things and and uh, just that, okay, I want to throw in the towel. But who motivates you to continue to keep going day after day, when you get the yeses, when, when you get the no's, you know, when you have those down days, how do you keep going and stay inspired? One of the main things, there, there are two things. When, when daddy was going through his journey, I had an angel named Sandra. And Sandra's mom had journeyed through Alzheimer's. Wow. Sandra would talk to me, pray with me, hold my hand, cry with me helped me to to navigate through the different agencies that may be able to provide support. And unfortunately, while Sandra was going through the journey with her mom, she didn't have anyone supporting her. Mm. And Sandra died the month before my father died. Oh, my goodness. And so the idea of Sandra, and she told me, she said, you're going to you're going to do great things. And I didn't know what she was talking about, because, of course, I wasn't thinking about the foundation at that time. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 remembrance of her is one of the things that propels me forward. Another thing is in my office, I have a picture of my father. Okay. On my desk. Okay. And so every time I come in the office in the morning, I say, good morning, daddy, mm-hmm. because he is the main reason that I do what I do. Wow. wow. Trying to help care for this 
continuously growing community. Mm. It's, it's a 24-7 job. Yes. And yes. I know that. Mm. But I can't say, well, somebody else is going to do it. Mm. When I believe this is what I've been called to do. Now, if you had asked me five years ago, if this is what I, my purpose and what I was called to do, I would have told you, no, of course not. Yeah, yeah. But what I know now is Mm. this is why I get up every morning to do this work. And so that's, and, and my father told me once, he said, baby, I don't remember my life, Mm. but I know I had a good one. Wow. Awesome. And you're right. Mm. And just remembering that, that helps to propel me to do what I need to do. Wow. Wow. Dr. Lori James, the founder of Focus on Education Incorporated, and also working with the James M. Dixon Foundation that she has founded in honor of her dad. Oh, my goodness. A lot of good information. Folks, we're just about out of time. Man, this is some good information, Dr. Lori. I can't go on and on and on because I've been in those shoes before as well. But, um, you know, friends, if thank you for listening today. If you did not hear this entire broadcast, which was so important, that was power packed with information. And just please visit our website for updates and more information on Dr. Lori James. Um, her resources will be on our website. Please leave a comment at www.roadthenumber2eternity.net. Dr. Lori, I want you to know that you are uniquely designed and strategically gifted for this type of work. Thank you for using your gifts to impact our world. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.